This is The Guardian. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The results are in, and Donald Trump has won the first in the nation primary contest here in New Hampshire, making it almost inevitable that we are poised for a Trump Biden rematch in November, the first time that's happened since Eisenhower and Stevenson fought each other twice in the 1950s. And Donald Trump, for one, cannot wait. The reason we have support is because they are so bad at what they're doing and so evil, and they're destroying our country. Despite coming second in a two-person race, Nikki Haley sounded upbeat at her election night event here in Concord. New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not the last in the nation. So, in our final episode of this special three-part series from New Hampshire, I'm wondering, is Nikki Haley right to say we're just getting started, or is she finished? Is she admirably determined or delusional? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. We're in the press filing area of what Nikki Haley hoped would be her victory party in the town of Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, People are just absorbing the results, filing stories, and here sitting with me are two of the finest of America's press corps. We have David Weigel from Semaphore and our own Lauren Gambino from The Guardian U.S., what just happened? Um, David Weigel, let's start with you, the winner. Uh, why did Donald Trump win here and win the way he did? He is beloved by Republican voters in a way that he, he wasn't eight years ago. Uh, he's lost a little bit of support from 2020, but not that much. Uh, he, he, if you look at the exit polling on how, when people made their minds up, everyone who made their minds up before the last couple of weeks, was, not everybody, he, was, he won them by 20 points. And you found that if you talk to voters around the state, even outside his rallies. Republicans excused every weakness he has, every uh, investigation he's under. I had one one voter I talked to today said something that echoed Dickie Haley. She likes to talk about chaos following Trump. And he said, well, he's always followed by chaos, but he's fighting for us. That's the basic sentiment of most Republican voters. And look at Republicans in this state, and we'll get into how independents can vote here and there and, and make a difference, not the difference, but a difference. He won Republicans uh, registered with the party by a three to one margin. Yeah. So that brings the next question, Lauren, to you, which is, we've talked about why he did win. Why did she, it's the same question, but from the other end, why did Nikki Haley not win? 
I think she always had an uphill challenge because even with the independents who decided to pull a Republican ballot today, you know, she's still overcoming Trump's huge margins among Republicans, you know, conservative, the base voters. I think there's a lot of different elements to it. You know, I talked to some uh, veterans of New Hampshire uh, presidential campaigns who thought she should have done more barnstorming. She did that in the last few days, but they were pretty critical of of how she um, started the week and, and, um, you know, not having a bigger footprint in the state. They were also wanted to hear more anti-Trump messaging from her, which she didn't really lean into until later. I don't know how much of a difference that would have made, but there were certainly voters who wanted to hear that fight and she did take it to him towards the end but there were still subjects that she wouldn't touch and I talked to one voter who was really angry uh, that she had said that she would pardon Trump if he was convicted and that was something that they just thought was inexcusable. Yeah I mean we'll get into all of these different aspects of it. Uh, It's amazing that after a year really of campaigning Nikki Haley came here a year ago and all that's happened in the last months and then weeks. In the end, it happened very quickly, just after eight o'clock in the polls, all the polls were closed. It happened so fast that we actually shocked one supporter here because it ended up being me breaking the news to her that Nikki Haley had lost. It is, well, see, the results are still coming in. It'll it'll take a while. <laughs> yeah, but she's conceded now. She said she hasn't won. She, she, I don't know if you were in there and you heard a speech. Oh, you didn't know that. Okay, so she has now accepted she didn't win. And your face looks very disappointed. That's a picture of disappointment. I did not see that. That's why everyone's going there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, then. Uh, Yeah, I didn't know that. So now that you do know that, how do you feel that she did lose this race? Mm, I don't know. You know, some people obviously just reeling from it. Nevertheless, in the room, tonight. They were sort of bouncing up and down and celebrating as if it was some kind of win. Yeah, so I'm still extremely positive. You know, I wanted, I was hoping for the race to be close, and it is close, especially given the last-minute dropout from Ron DeSantis. You know, it was, you didn't know how people were going to swing with that, but I'm feeling very optimistic and that I'm happy she's going to continue on, and I'm going to follow her until I can't anymore. <laughs> And Nikki Haley said her message was, you know, we're just getting started and that we're going to fight on. They want an election. And we're going to give them one. Is that true, David Weigel? Do you think she's going to? Uh, she has enough resources to continue campaigning. The, what the Trump campaign is trying to do, and they started it in New Hampshire, is roll out all the supporters they have in South Carolina and say, there is no point in you campaigning. The governor, who Trump has joked about appointing Haley in order to <laughs> put in office, the lieutenant governor, he elevated to that role. The governor supports him, all the state uh, uh, constitutional officers support him, most of the delegation. Uh, her argument, which is fairly new in the last few days, is that the establishment, the political elite, is always against me. This is the latest example, and I always always beat them. She can say that, uh, but South Carolina is a very different state, and the problem there is that uh, New Hampshire has is very secular. There are very few relatively evangelical conservative voters. There are tons of them in South Carolina. It is an electorate that is perfectly made for Donald Trump, and there are in, people who can cross over. It's a it's a mostly open primary. 
But in a couple weeks, uh, less than a couple weeks, they're going to have a Democratic primary. There are fewer voters to pull to pull from. It's a problem that happened to her here. Every, I would say, every vote for Dean Phillips was taken was one that Nikki Haley could have won, but many of them were. Uh, how, she needs to pull over people who do just don't like Donald Trump, may never vote for her. Much harder to do in South Carolina than it was here. Yeah, I mean, I did wonder, Lauren, that. If she could, can't win here, just to but you know mangle the old Frank Sinatra song. If she can't make it here, she can't make it anywhere because this is the one place that was really favourable for her because of what we're just hearing from Dave about how independents could cross over and undeclared voters and even the Republicans, as some of them were quite Trump skeptical. South Carolina is going to be a really steep hill to climb. Absolutely, and, and you know the religious element it does make a difference because here she didn't she wasn't up against that, and she was, um, yeah, she was appealing to people who you know were at least open to her message, just more moderate electorate. So I I just yeah, it, it's hard to see how she does this going forward, but at the same time, because it is her home state, because she's been elected twice, she can keep uh, saying that, and you know certainly some of her supporters I was able to grab after the speech they. They uh, grabbed onto that resilient spirit and said, you know, we're going to volunteer for her in South Carolina. She's coming in with an army. This is her state. She can do it. And we and I, too, actually talking to people afterwards, came across people absolutely lifted and cheered by that as if uh, they weren't going to have to go home thinking about defeat and disappointment, but instead very upbeat. I'm not disappointed at all. What do you mean disappointed? Well, because Nikki didn't win in New Hampshire. Oh, my gosh. She did so. Oh, my God. This is the best loss well, we should know that it's much nicer in South Carolina this time of year than in New Hampshire. Maybe that's why all these New Hampshire people were telling us they're going to get in their cars and go down <laughs> yeah. to South Carolina. They fancy a bit of winter sun. Actually, I have an RV and I've got it all gassed up. I just checked and we got the magnets on the side and we're driving through South Carolina and helping support her campaign. I mean, it's, it's, it's good to hear people wanting to stay engaged and obviously not feel as if their hopes have been crushed. But Dave, I do wonder, is it sort of delusional even for them to be thinking that? Or is there something that we're, you know, that we should be alive to, which is that Nikki Haley has this track record of beating Mm -hmm. the establishment. She's mentioned that she was the underdog when she first became governor, took on a whole lot of the fellas, as she always puts it. You know, she likes taking on these big white guys who line up against her. And this oddness of suddenly Donald Trump is the establishment candidate. Yeah, that's a very flexible term. One thing I'd add, though, about Haley winning in 2010, her victory, she talks about uh, overcoming the attorney general, the now governor, all the all these better known Republicans in primary, is she was the Tea Party candidate. She had Sarah Palin's endorsement. She put together what became a big chunk of the Trump coalition, which she cannot win now. They're with him. The segment of the party that's focused on uh, closing the border, immigration, building a wall. She had them when she ran for governor. She does not have them now. Uh, and that's that's the thing. The co- it's not that the coalition has fractured. Just sections of it really trust Donald Trump and don't trust her. The other thing I'd add is she got a lot of Democrats who flirted with Republican parties, changed their registration, moderate, moderates. In South Carolina, they voted against her twice. <laughs> that is not a state where a lot of Democrats are going to say, let me send a message by voting for the governor. I remember cutting uh, funding for libraries and bringing corporations by offering them benefits. That is not fertile territory for her with the sort of voters that just discovered her for the first time in New Hampshire. Yeah. I mean, this comes back to the problem that she is reliant outside New Hampshire on Republican voters. And the trouble is Republicans don't really vote for her. I mean, the the numbers here in New Hampshire among Republicans, not all the undeclareds and so on. She's just massively behind there. And Donald Trump is so locked in 
with Republicans. And if you're trying to win the Republican nomination, it's pretty handy to be popular with Republicans. Yeah. So, I mean, Haley tried here. She really played up uh, her endorsement from Don Boldick, who lost his Senate bid after, you know, denying the legitimacy of the 2020 election. He had Trump's backing. And in the general, he tried to say that, you know, he tried to reverse his claims on the election. So he was someone who went all in on Trump uh, and it cost him. He did not win. And, and yet Haley sought his endorsement. He backed her and she tried to play it up. She talked about him being, you know, hard. I think she called him a hardcore conservative tonight. So she's really trying to get out the message. I am a conservative. Vote for me. But it's just it's I, it's misreading, uh, you know, that loyalty to Trump. It's not about policy, conservative policy. It's it's about him. And I don't see how she peels, peels them away on, you know, policy appeals. Let's just talk about the speeches both uh, candidates have made. That's always part of uh, election night. And you wait in these hotel ballrooms for the candidates to come in. We heard Nikki Haley here in Concord, but Donald Trump um, uh, is still on his feet talking as as we're all talking because he goes long. He went quite aggressive, Dave, against uh, Nikki Haley saying, calling her an imposter. And she was up and I said, wow, she's doing uh, like a speech like she won. She didn't win. She lost. For saying that she will be under investigation and then saying Ron DeSantis would have been too, but he got out in time as if if he makes it to the White House, he is going to turn you know, the federal criminal justice system against her. And at one point said, I don't get angry, I get even. Mm-hmm. Yes, and maybe that was a preview of what what happened in South Carolina because he has been he has never had a problem in elevating a fringe story or something that maybe wouldn't pass muster uh, by, by a newspaper that cares about libel. For example, he has attacked her over her birth name, which is not Nikki; it's Nimrata. Uh, something that she has she has brushed these attacks off. I mean, she she's chosen when she attacks Trump and and, and decide not to do that. But there is a record in South Carolina of the nastiest attack you you can think of being deployed and being pretty pretty effective. It's obviously there's a tradition here of people not winning New Hampshire and reframing their campaigns. Uh, Bill Clinton didn't win New Hampshire. This is where Barack Obama gave his Yes, I Can speech, which he expected to give because he won the state, but he ended up turning it into the start of a, a comeback in a long campaign. That's what she tried to do. She tried to, she delivered a speech that barely conceded, said it was the start of the race, etc. We're going to keep, we're going to keep going. It clearly got under his skin. He has uh, gotten used to, well, for his whole career, but over the last week, he's gotten used to people losing and groveling. And she's not going to do that. Uh, so that, that that's what brings in all the sleaze and negativity that he's very good at. Yeah, because he does not like it if people don't fall in line. And I know there were some people in the Haley camp who were almost hoping that would happen, that they could provoke him because he shows that sort of uglier side and maybe turns off some voters. She said, um, Lauren, tonight that I'm a fighter and I'm scrappy. And today we got close to half of the vote. We still have a ways to go, but we keep moving up. And I wondered if a lot of the people that probably you and I have both been meeting across the state, they felt she wasn't scrappy enough. She wasn't enough of a fighter. She didn't really go uh, for Donald Trump's throat the way he would if he was in her position. And I noticed even when she's, she's still going with this stuff about chaos follows him as if it's like bad luck, nothing to do with him. Is she is she got it in her to be more of a fighter because it sounds like from what we're hearing she needs to be she based her whole campaign on this idea of telling hard truths and and yet the truths that she tells aren't 
really that hard. They're kind of just facts that she packages around being tough. You know, she'll say like, here's my hard truth. Like I voted for Donald Trump twice, which, you know, is comes as no surprise. So I think, yeah, I talked to someone who said, I thought it was good. He said she's trying to walk too fine a line and she's trying to do it both and she's trying to have it both ways. And that's just not how you're going to, you know, rile up the people you need to rile up and to, to get them out and get them on board. Um, you just have to lead into it if you're going to go for the anti-Trump vote. Um, I think, you know, she's styled herself as this like woman in heels who comes onto the stage and kicks people twice as hard. That's why she wears heels. She's got that, but I don't think we've seen it. You know, so far it's rhetoric. And uh, I think she's been careful of Trump. She she hasn't really, you know, kicked him with her heels yet. I suppose the problem is there is an anti-Trump vote out there in the country, but it's not inside the Republican Party in enough numbers to win the Republican nomination. And maybe that was sinking in a little bit with some of the voters who we spoke to tonight, big Nikki Haley supporters who, despite the upbeat message from the candidate themselves, left feeling rather downcast. And yet the American people say they don't want 80-year-olds running. But you know what? This is the deal. The number one and two best-selling books are cookbooks and diet books. You know, I mean, that's the thing. That's, it's, a, it's a problem. So we're talking, obviously, tonight all about the Republican race uh, and whether or not Donald Trump has uh, locked it up. There was a contest on the other side among Democrats. It was the lowest, sort of most muted contest possible. Dave, just tell us, first of all, why it was a muted contest and what we should read into the numbers that did come out of it. Yes, it was muted because of the president's decision backed by the Democratic National Committee to push the calendar around to have South Carolina vote first uh, because it's a majority black state because Biden won it on his way to the presidency. Uh, New Hampshire has a law (laughs) that requires it to hold the first primary. And so it kept it. Biden decided not to compete in it officially, and Dean Phillips, a congressman from from Minnesota, who is just now getting known, the point he made in his his concession tonight is that he's been in this 10 weeks. He got in explicitly saying, I love Joe Biden, great president, he can't win, he's too old. He's, he's very blatant about this. They thought there might be a protest vote. Are people worried about Biden? They were aware there's a protest vote of uh, people angry about uh, the administration's policy in Gaza. So there's a ad hoc organization raised uh, only $100,000 or so for people with lawn signs and for house parties saying write in Biden. And it worked. It's very clear that people showed up. They wrote in Joe Biden. He is not having the sort of embarrassing finish that Lyndon Johnson had, which is the go-to, really the only example of, of an incumbent president. Johnson only won by eight points as a write-in candidate. Clearly, Biden's going to win by more than that. And Phillips is going to have to justify why he's still doing this. Why is he still out there saying this guy's not electable? Should he back off and say this is our only chance of beating Donald Trump? That's not what he did tonight, but that was the campaign he ran. Because there were some mutterings, Lauren, weren't they, that if Joe Biden got somehow below 50%, mm-hmm. everyone would start making the historical point that Dave's just made about Lyndon Johnson. Actually, Joe Biden, despite really taking a risk by dissing New Hampshire by moving their primary, not campaigning, not having his name on the ballot, he comes out unscathed. That's how it's looking like. I mean, he, yeah, I talked to some voters today who were holding the write-in signs at the, um, at different polling places around the state. And, you know, a few of them said, like, we're sad we don't have the woo-woo fun primary. That was the quote, the woo-woo fun primary. (laughs) But she said she understood it, that it was in time to elevate the voices of black voters in their party. And that's what Democrats were about. So there was some sense of, you know, maybe they're doing the right thing. And uh, yeah, they just really were determined not to give Biden the egg on his face finish. 
Now, tell me if I'm being succumbing to Nikki Haley-style delusion. But the one thought that did strike me, actually, in the ballroom as she was uh, giving her sort of pseudo-victory speech, was maybe one of the winners tonight is Joe Biden. And I don't mean because he won his Mm. primary, but rather because this whole exercise, and the longer she stays in, shows that there are a lot of people, in fact, a majority, who are anti-Trump, because there's a good chunk within the Republican Party, and obviously there's all the Democrats on the other side. The longer this goes on, the more you see that there is a body of opinion, maybe small. You were saying maybe it's just a quarter of Republicans. Mm -hmm. Add them to the Democrats. That's a winning number for Joe Biden if he's counting anti-Trump votes. It is. And we could get into all the reasons that he is suffering in the polling right now. Every image from Ukraine or Gaza emphasizes that there are conflicts that didn't exist when Trump was president. That's a big problem for Biden. But what Democrats will tell you is they wanted to get to a point where if he is frozen in people's minds as the likely nominee, does that mean more attention on the oddball things he says on True Social? Does it mean more attention uh, on the policies that he's talking about, which is what Democrats are really trying to pump up? They really beyond they don't care about the lawsuits as much. They want attention on what would he do to health care? Would he try to repeal Obamacare again? They want to get to that point, and they're not confident is not the right word. They just think people have not had in their mind, oh, it's going to be a choice between between this guy and the, and the guy who I feel is too old, that's when they think they can win. They got and they did get closer tonight to that. Of course, though, I would say the, the big X factor are these third party candidates. And you know, we I spoke to so many people today who said that they would look at third party candidates if it was Trump v. Biden. And of course, you know, I think there is that element of you know, when it actually becomes Trump, then then you think differently. But as of right now, there was just real dis- dislike and disbelief of that it might be a Trump, Trump-Biden rematch in 2024. So, you know, if it is, and there are these other names on the ballot, you might see some of those, you know, the quarter of Republicans you were talking about drift off to a third party. Yeah. And that could, then we're going to be debating all year about who that hurts most, Trump, Biden. It will depend on which third party candidate. There is going to be so much to talk about that. As we, it stands now, it does look as if a Trump Biden rematch is on for November 2024. And in a way, the voters of New Hampshire have made that much more likely. Uh, Lauren Gambino, David Weigel, thank you both for talking to me. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. So after really a year of focusing on this Republican contest, it comes down to the battle that we sort of always knew was looming, which is a rerun of that bitter contest in November 2020. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, two people who either one of them wins, they will be a president in their 80s. And that is a new situation for the republic. That's a big thing that America is facing that prospect. But it does mean American politics now changes. It's going to pivot quite quickly once, you know, barring some amazing upset by Nikki Haley, which is very, very unlikely. It's going to pivot quite quickly to a battle of those two. All the arguments that raged four years ago are coming back, including a new focus, a sharper focus on Donald Trump himself. For a long while, he's been able to get away with quite a lot, almost below radar. The spotlight is absolutely going to be right on him. And Joe Biden's going to make sure it stays there. So fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy 10 months ahead. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer 
For all three of these episodes here in New Hampshire has been Danielle Stevens, the executive producer, Jagruti Darve. We're back with an all-new episode a week from Friday. That's February the 3rd. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.